0: Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Julie Smith, the podcast which digs a little deeper into the minds behind the best of the food books through four food moments. This week I'm with Joe Woodhouse to talk about cookery courses, food photography and launching your very first book in the middle of a war when your wife is Ukrainian food writer on your Hercules.
1: I actually posted a few recipes or talked about a book and I got quite a few messages from people saying you know what i've been completely consumed by this i just cooked this recipe and it distracted me for half an hour whatever and it was really great because it took my mind off and i was like okay that's at least something positive
0: his book your daily veg has been lauded by nigella anna jones and cooking the book's favourite, Rachel Roddy, and he's packed with vegetarian recipes inspired by his career to date styling and photographing food from all over the world, but also by a lifetime of being a vegetarian. I began by asking him to take us back to that moment when, aged 10, he told his family of farmers that he was giving up meat.
1: We were just watching a TV programme in the evening and someone was, you know, taking a mick out of his wife for turning vegetarian and it just set some cogs kind of going in my brain and I sort of thought, well, I, I want to kind of step back, have a think about this and then reapproach, um, you know, meat and fish. Uh, uh, and I kind of never found my way back. I kind of, the more I kind of read or didn't kind of eat meat and was cooking other things I kind of went further down the rabbit hole of not needing to and kind of being excited by you know other other ingredients I mean there's still masses of things I haven't eaten or
0: tried. But when you're 10 that challenge is given to you probably your mother maybe your father but and in my case when my kids went vegetarian at age six it was me who suddenly had to come up with all the ideas and cook loads of different meals in one sitting. So what was the reality of that? What did your mum, or your, who was cooking most in your family? Or did you? Maybe you did at age 10.
1: Well, it was given to my mother for a little bit, but then one of the, a couple of nights in, uh, she'd made this big effort making this black-eyed bean pie, black-eyed beans being one of her favourite things, and she kind of made this mega pie for about, I mean, it must have fed about 20 people. And we sat down to dinner and we kind of cut into it, and something was a bit wrong, it looked a bit grey. And she'd forgotten to soak the beans before cooking Uh so it's I think technically poisonous (laughs) um but and I sort of at that point I was a bit like I started feeling a bit bad and my dad kind of sold John eating it we were kind of like well we don't fancy it but I, I sort of so then I kind of set about trying to do simple things myself you know at 10 you're a bit more you can kind of do some eggs or you can kind of chop some things to make a salad and Uh, I mean we used to watch a lot of cookery shows back then and my parents were really into food you know their holidays or like whenever they'd if they'd go away for the night they'd just um, come into London to a restaurant to go eat and we'd you know my gran had look after us or something on the rare occasion they would go off but the uh, and it's kind of fascinating that that, that's what they'd sort of spend their free time doing is going to someone's restaurant that's what they're kind of excited about and they'd go off and go do this and as a young child you kind of you know it's so sort of interesting that they're so excited and kind of wanting to go in and talking about it afterwards and you know they've just kind of gone off to eat someone's food is kind of such a wild thing yeah I used to have full cooked breakfast every morning with you know (laughs) three different kinds of meat and every you know we're kind of proper farmers kind of (laughs) set up for the day and you know and it just be kind of all really good quality all kind of local and just it just naturally was that way because that's just you know in the countryside and that's how we were but
0: yeah now my kids were just a little bit more demanding that their activism aged six was much more important than my ability to make something out of a mushroom (laughs) again um what what kind of farm was it that you grew up on
1: predominantly arable but uh with farms you kind of inherit certain bits so we um there's a few cattle uh and then a lot of turkeys uh chicken and geese that we used to do for christmas um
0: so that used to be a Christmas job
1: of plucking to... Uh, actually, I used to do the geese.
0: Was that post-vegetarian or pre-vegetarian? Pre-vegetarian. Right. I
1: did a little bit then after, you know, just kind of... Because it's all part of the food system, but it wasn't... There's no kind of squeamishness because that was just what you did. Right. And we you know, from a young age, we were always... You know, we just, that's the reality of the food system.
0: Yeah. That is what I find so interesting. A lot of people turn vegetarian. um, You know, my my eldest daughter turned vegetarian at six because I was taking her around an amazing pig farm where these pigs were able to just root around and have fresh apples that had just fallen freshly off the trees. And I was saying how brilliant this was. She thought it was absolutely unacceptable (laughs) that they should end up in sausages. Um, But you know, that's because she didn't grow up in a farm. She didn't grow up around uh, farm animals. You. Did and presumably, you know, your family kept them pretty well. So, was there a compassion with the farm animals around you that turned you vegetarian, or was it just that your body did better with vegetables?
1: I don't know. I kind of we ate so much meat before I was ten. I kind of had enough to sort of do me for a while. But I do feel lighter and brighter, and it is one of those things that kind of have lots of energy. And, you know, I would kind of just talking to someone recently about it and they, they sort of just do good quality meat one meal a week now and they're sort of saying how good they feel. I mean, each person to their own, but just find good stuff, you know, cook it kind of simply and don't do too much to it. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that... In British food culture, we can just replace whole ways of eating fairly easily. And it tends to be some kind of activism or uh, compassion or active choice to change our eating habits. But, you know, you are married to Ukrainian food writer, Olia Hercules, and meat is very definitely within that Ukrainian culture. You know, how easy was it to be vegetarian in a family like that
1: um I think her mum really loved the challenge you know not so much a challenge it's just a kind of easy segue I mean everyone has allotments and there's loads of produce kind of you know especially when you go in the summertime it's just like bursting you just go off and go pick kind of what you're going to have for that meal um and most things kind of I mean Ollie always maintains that oh there's mainly vegetarian anyway which I don't think is necessarily you know there's a lot of bone broths or things that, you know it's kind of <laughs> Not. To, to a meat eater maybe it feels <laughs> yeah, yeah. quite veggie or like there's a lot of vegetables included it's a very <laughs> yeah. good balance I think is maybe more correct. but I yeah but it but it lends itself to them being I mean they, there's a big passion for mushrooms and everyone kind of it gets so hot in the summer that they just slice and leave them out and they dry outside in the sun um but so there's masses of mushrooms yeah. that can kind of make up mushroom broths and things as a good substitute. Um, you know, I, I don't know, I'm not yeah. necessarily substitute, just a different option. I think that that that's something that it, it shouldn't be that you're, you're lacking. It's not, you're kind of just doing something different, I think is maybe more of a mindset that people, yeah. is an interesting thing to get into because it's not like you're missing out on something. It's just this is, the meat should be a treat, I guess, is kind of a thing. And I think that there is that, the Ukrainian side that you have big... Family meals on the weekends, and people come over and they kind of, a, you know, they, because uh, they, they keep ducks and things, they kind of killed a couple of ducks, roast them, you know, and kind of have that. And it's a big celebration. And then you kind of make other things from the carcass yeah. and things afterwards as you do. And I think that's, I think there's a more, there's still a more traditional way of eating like that rather than this kind of meat all the time, every, day, you know, every meal kind of uh, convenience side of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, meat has a cultural place rather than our, you know, going down the Tesco's and picking up a shrink-wrapped bit of white stuff that nobody even associates with an animal, let alone how it lived um, and what it's supposed to taste like. Um, I'm very interested, uh, Joe, because I have just started a Leith's online cookery course last week. And I want to talk to you about how cookery courses can change your path. Um, I have no idea which path I'm going to go on when I finish this course in six months time. But you did a cookery course in your 20s, didn't you? Which one and and what did it do for you?
1: So uh, I wanted to change my path from the university course I was doing. I was not as a bit disillusioned with. And so I I wanted to go to catering college. But I thought that I'd probably be better off at the vegetarian society doing a course there than going to traditional catering college in scarborough being a vegetarian which i think was the correct thing to do and get a basis and i i did a diploma there over a series of months it probably was, yeah about nine months and then and then just started working and sort of got into kitchens and just kind of learning on the job as well and and reading a lot and i mean back then when you know tv show there's you know, so many cookery shows were kind of blowing up so it was just Trying to get as much knowledge and cram as much in as possible. You did courses in, but then there was a, a lot of emphasis on doing at home. So every day I do two new techniques or two dishes, say that I hadn't made before. Um, so I kind of was really enjoyed yeah. kind of that sort of being empowered, where you're kind of you go off, teach yourself, come back, show us what you've learned, kind of thing.
0: And uh, was that where you started taking photographs? Did you have to take photographs of your food and show them to people? Because this is pre-Instagram, wasn't it? Yeah,
1: yeah I, funny enough, I've still got them somewhere where I've upended a some cannelloni with some asparagus and an onion butter sauce I made it say. I found them so Ollie oh, found them as well. It's just like what's this? So <laughs> like early examples of my food photography. <laughs> I mean, it's extremely dated. <laughs> but the yeah, we I think it's part of the presentation and things and talk about what you've done because they were training you to go into restaurants. So you are supposed to be looking at presentation and, uh, you know, and how, how to kind of best show off the yeah. food and things as well.
0: That I find fascinating, you know, when you're presenting your food uh, as something that, you know, would look great on Instagram had it existed at the time, you're thinking very differently. And that did presumably lead you to a very successful uh, career as a food photographer, which is how you got to produce your first book. What was the relationship then between learning to cook and producing something that is popping off the page and selling other people's books at first? I mean, you did all Olly's photography, for most of her books.
1: Uh, the the latest ones, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, in the, when I was in the restaurant and things, it was a large part of me, uh, what I was doing was helping design the dishes and the presentation because I really kind of enjoyed that side of it. I, lo- I mean... A lot of the time, I'll start at the beginning, kind of think of what the end plating's like. So you kind of, when you're chopping, you know, your ingredients, you kind of already kind of have a mind to it. When I left the kitchen to go do photography, it was more to get wider exposure to food and learn about more cuisines and and dishes. And so I started doing styling as well as the photography assisting. and which practically meant i had more work so i had a you know a livable income and then styling's amazing because you just get to you get put on a job and it's like okay we're going to do food of spain so then you're just going kind to of crash course in spanish yeah. cooking and you kind of have to do all these things and it's such a good way to kind of learn and and you've also got to then think about as you say how that's going to show on camera i mean we always I trained with Jason Lowe so it's always like you want to eat the food afterwards because what this you know it's such a waste otherwise and also that's kind of part of it because everyone's so into into the food you want to try it see what's kind of what the flavors are and things and so we kind of the only thing we kind of do is slightly hold back kind of overcooking you know certain things so the colors are still kind of bright but Uh, on the whole, it's sort of cook it well, shoot it quickly and then eat it. It's a kind of ethos.
0: And you're learning massively, aren't you? You are, it's like a crash course in so many different uh, types of dishes, but also trends, Joe. You know, when you're thinking with your eyes and you're capturing stuff to entice people to buy new cookbooks or try new things you are trend setting aren't you you're the the hunter <laughs> uh you know what do you see now that is coming up i mean obviously all the food in your book which we'll talk about in a minute through your food moments is bang on trend but what do you see that is coming up that we might be cooking say next year
1: I well, I mean, what I want to come up, because I always kind of look to the past and sort of really good examples of Mexican food is what I want to come up. I see that kind of growing.
0: Like what? What kind of Mexican foods have we not seen already? You know, we've got so many at Oaxaca and every high street is absolutely full of Mexican food. Well, what haven't we seen?
1: Some of the more regional things, I think, and some of the not so known, you know, kind of off the beaten track. Um, I, I, it's somewhere that I would love to go to. I think that's kind of, it's just my... Uh, that's what's coming out as well. <laughs> I just I would love to travel around Mexico, eating you know for a month or so, and just kind of really get stuck in. But I, it's just there's there's I mean for me a lot with traveling, being vegetarian you get a lot of what people would eat normally, um, as opposed to the celebration dishes or the what we what they think you want as a tourist and which involves a lot of meat, which you know which is fine, but it, it, it's those kind of Everyday dishes that I think there's quite a lot of magic in a lot of the time that are just kind of just really simply done, but that just kind of you know you, you haven't necessarily seen before and just kind of different ways of cooking things. Or olia has it a lot with it in Ukraine, where you have from village to village, you know, a household to household, someone it's the same dish, but it's whatever spin someone's grandmother's put on or they've put on. And there's those little nuances I think that are kind of so inspiring,
0: yeah. Yeah, something that's very grounded, but then it has its own little personal tweaks. Um, let's go through your food moments. Um, you've chosen as your first food moment the brown sauce, <laughs> uh, which you developed in lockdown with your son, Wilf. You were st- strapping him to your chest as a baby and cooking over the hob. Um, is that illegal?
1: <laughs> I don't well. Yeah, he was small enough that he was, I mean, he'd, before he'd kind of get anything leaning over the hob too much. I mean, I used to do like a kind of ready, steady cook, kind of cookery show for him and just narrate through what we were doing. Both of us, well, we obviously he was born in January and then we went into lockdown. So we kind of, but we still had to kind of work. So I'd I'd end up having him in the days and then write in the evening, write the book in the evening so Ollie could work in the day. Um, but I, I just, there's, you know, had to do some development and different things, but also kind of entertain him. And he see, he just like loved it so much. And he he'd kind of listened to everything you say, He kind of talk through, tell him what ingredients are, what you're doing. And then he kind of put his hand on my arm as I was chopping to kind of help me along, you know, and kind of really getting involved. And then it's still, we got him a little tower. So he now stands along side and kind of helps cook. It got him. He got him a knife for Christmas, and then. Uh, but he, he just gets him. He gets involved, and it's great. I mean, it, he then tastes everything, he eats everything. He kind of is. It, it works really. It kind of works really well because he kind of, you know, he he sort of feels involved and he's tasting along with it and he knows what's kind of gone into it. And then he sees the end dish and he kind of puts all the dots together. He he loves the brown sauce now and ever bring it out a breakfast and things. He kind of, he just had to pile it on.
0: So tell us about this brown sauce then. It, I mean, it's a typical sort of condiment, but, you know, why is it featuring in your in your vegetarian uh, book? It's something that you would not normally put with some bacon or something, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah well, it, I mean, I'm a, a massive lover of condiments of any kind, but I wanted to develop a brown sauce. I've been meaning to do it for years, and I was like, this is <laughs> having a cookbook deal is kind of the opportunity to realise this. Um, a lot of the idea in the book is to use things as templates and kind of put in whatever veg you've got or take it a different direction or if you don't like you know parsley use this you know use what you like instead and um it's just it's kind of giving it's trying to show people that you can do things not it doesn't have to be that tricky to kind of do certain things like that and uh, you know a fresh made brown sauce is worlds away from uh you know
0: a squeezy bottle. Let's not mention any any brands. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I mean, it's also about giving people um, a way of being more creative with some very basic vegetables, isn't it? It's about just doing a quick little stir fry and then yeah. giving it a flavour bomb, as Sottolenghi calls it. Your second food moment is a, a series of, of, of recipes that you've plucked from the book that you've picked up along your way as a food photographer. Um, Now, we've already talked about accessing so many cuisines and cultures through your work, but just mention some of these actual recipes that you've picked up because they do come from all over the place. The sweet potato ginger stew, for example, where did you pick that up?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of, for me, the most uh, sort of luxurious part of being a food photographer and getting to travel and go to different countries and photograph foods people cooking the foods like just learning you know just constantly learning and it's such a you know wonderful thing um the sweet potato stew was i was on a job in brazil uh and staying uh with jason who was directing uh, he'd moved to uh, onto moving images as well and i was taking stills on the shoot and just staying at his house and it was with his then partner paula Caracella. she uh, is a well-known chef uh, and she was just cooking for us each night when we came back kind of go out at 6 a.m get back kind of 6 7 p.m and then sit down to these amazing meals every night and it just struck me it was a kind of looser soup uh kind of dish i just made it a bit less uh liquidy uh just to make it a bit more substantial for our uk climate rather than the brazilian climate um, so in that kind of week, just learnt so much from from Paula, just you know, in cooking uh, techniques and different things. And it's just that's kind of swapping ideas or telling people about oh, we I saw this the other day and how to kind of use this veg or you know whatever ingredient it is. So much fun, <laughs> different people
0: sitting around chatting, squatting and chatting. You know, women have been doing it forever, you know, just sharing each other's recipes. Yeah. I remember doing a film way back when, for Channel 4 called Food File, where we were talking to a whole load of nonnas about how to make the perfect tomato sauce. And, you know, they were all chatting away in Italian about... Well, they were arguing, let's be honest, in Italian over, you know, their different tomato sauces. And I didn't understand a word, but I did understand everything. You know, it was... Yeah. So clear. That's what women mainly have done f- since the beginning of time, swapping ideas and, and arguing their case. And, um, you know, the aubergine and tomato seed dressing. Is there a lot of chat about uh, where did that come from?
1: Uh, this is yeah, I was on a job in um, Tel Aviv and there's uh, there's a, a restaurant that we actually ate at twice because it was so good uh, called Port Said. And it's but it's the same guy that owns all the Miznon restaurants. There's just a simplicity to the food. It's just really you know, just really good produce, kind of small plates of sort of really delicious things just coming out that kind of you put together to form your kind of own table laden with all these different dishes. But it's just so many from that those two meals I just kind of remember so clearly because it's just all the flavors are really bright and singing it's more than the sum of its parts I mean I've got to say actually there's quite a lot of places in Tel Aviv a lot of influence from there that was just uh, such a kind of light touch but kind of with really strong clear vision kind of coming through Uh, yeah i mean i can't wait to go back
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely um peas broad beans and feta just the words together in a recipe in your third food moment delightful (laughs) i want to eat that right now you used to eat it to satiate your hunger with your brothers while waiting for dinner (laughs) why did you choose this one
1: well this is here i'm trying it's trying to get ollie to grow peas again um (laughs) 'Cause it's so good. <laughs> she, I don't know why she sort of thinks they're a bit fussy. They just do but, it by um, themselves. Yeah, yeah, I know. But you just we just run out to the yeah. garden, pick a load of peas and broad beans. I kind of potted them all, blanched them, threw them on top of this block of feta, dressed it. It was just more as a kind of snack, anti pasty kind of thing, uh, while we were waiting for Ollie to I think she was putting Wilf to bed to come and uh you know, down for dinner. But I think why sort of putting that in just because is that a lot of the book is these kind of dishes where they've kind of just naturally occur because it's like, oh, we've got what have I got? Oh, we've got a load of peas and broad beans. We'll just quickly do something. And then they're kind of like, oh, that was actually really good. Let's make a note of it. Those impromptu moments, kind of something great happens. And it's just like, yeah, let's keep that
0: the best ideas always come from that that sort of you know spare of the moment that looks lovely let's just put it on the table and feed people it's kind of the attitude uh of towpath isn't it And your yeah. fourth food moment is uh Towpath's corn on the cob cornbread uh from when you were working there as a chef i mean the interview i did with laurie and laura i think is is one of my absolute favorites from last year they are really properly special people aren't they in a very special place that they've created must have been wonderful to work there
1: yeah, I mean, that's got to be one of the largest uh, influences on my cooking and my approach and just learning so much. And just, I mean, Laurie and both Laurie and Laura sort of wealth of knowledge and just the people and experiences they've had and the kind of knowledge they can pass on. Um, I mean, it just felt like a privilege working there the whole time and cooking. It's pretty close to... The, I think it would only been open a couple of months when I uh, turned up. And we used to do big event you know massive weddings and we're cooking paella for 200 people and things and then yeah. but it, it's just kind of loads of outdoor events like you kind of go have to set up work around the problems and you know kind of just make food and it's just a lot of cooking on fire and barbecuing the the, the corn on the cob thing was we used to do it on the weekends we just set up a barbecue on the side of the canal and just as people walking past we could you know kind of see what you're cooking kind of talk to you about it Obviously, everyone loves to gather around a barbecue and chat about, you know, what coal you're using and wood and things. But um, <laughs> it's just a really fun way because you're actually cooking the food with someone standing there who's about to eat it next to you. It's quite it's a, it's a step further than an open kitchen, I guess.
0: What is so amazing about it, Joe? Because people talk about it in glowing terms. I mean, Kieran Knightley says it's the reason why she still lives in London. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? I, uh, I Just talking. <laughs> to Laurie um, and Laura, you know, I, I really did think that they had, they got the meaning of life sorted. Uh, they, they just have such an incredible take on generosity and simplicity. That's what I picked up from them. You say that they shaped your cooking and your food so much. What What is it that they imparted?
1: But, but yeah, I think that, I mean, generosity is uh, just the simplicity is uh, does sum it up it's just there's an excitement and an interest in food on such a deep level you know or, or just looking after people as well and the whole thing where there was no there's never been any takeaway coffee cups or things because the whole the ethos is like the italian thing you have a minute or two to stop and drink a coffee everyone's fraught and kind of rushing in and out of work and things it's that kind of taking a moment to just slow down and you know take a breath um and i think that kind of you know goes through to the whole ethos of the place it's sort of i think it's something in that side of london you're by the canal and you just you kind of don't expect it as well and it's just kind of it's gently kind of taken hold of that area in a you know in in such a way i mean everyone always says it feels quite like berlin but yeah i think you kind of it is in that kind of quite bohemian kind of vibe you know just loved working there it was such a great you know, environment to be in. The staff lunches used to be the you pick dishes off the menu, you know, you just you're eating the food that you're cooking and making. And I think that's quite an important thing as well. Where It's all about quality of life for everyone rather than making as much money. But yeah, it's always a joy to go back.
0: It's a very difficult time, I imagine, for you to bring out your very first cookbook. I'm sure you put an enormous amount of work into it. And then, of course, the war in Ukraine literally eclipsed everything must have completely changed your life. Uh, yeah. I noticed you're doing amazing stuff uh, for Cook for Ukraine. Uh, you cooked with Jamie Oliver last week. You're um, you you you're watching your wife turn into a proper champion. Um, she always was, of course, but you know, you, you must be yeah. so proud. But you know, in the middle of it all, you're bringing out your book. Uh, how does that feel? Well,
1: you know, you're slightly apprehensive and kind of you don't want to lessen any other message and what the other work that's being done but then there's uh, I actually posted a few recipes I talked about a book and I got quite a few messages from people saying you know what I've been completely consumed by this I just cooked this recipe and it distracted me for half an hour or whatever and it was really great because it took my mind off and I was like okay that's at least some something positive positive. And that's kind of, it, it, it's not to make light of anything else, but it's sort of, I think it is important to take a breath and a moment and also make sure you're, you know, eating and looking after yourself as well. Because as I know with Ollie, is sort of a, you know, it's non-stop because it's just trying to problem solve and help in any way you can.
0: Yeah, you know, I can see from Olya's posts that she's not eating. And I, you know, I feel so, so, so for her. And so many of the Ukrainians who uh, are victim to this awful, awful tragedy. But at the same time, you know, I'm part of a group of women who are going around all the village halls around East Sussex, and we're cooking wonderful Ukrainian inspired food for You know, 70 people a couple of weeks back, 60 people next week, you know, and Mm. people can't get enough of it because, you know, I've never seen all these people together in one place, but they are sitting down and they are eating together and they are eating beautiful food and ultimately that is what it's all about isn't it it is getting together to raise awareness and funds of course for ukraine but to also remind people of the depth and the richness of the culture that is being absolutely decimated but that will live on can you see that from your position from absolutely within the the heartbeat of it
1: uh, I mean the the response from every you know from people is just it's incredible. You never would have thought it'd be such a, it'd taken hold in such a way it has. I've been taking Wolf off to little trips just to kind of give Ollie a break and things. And you kind of t- sending pictures to Ollie's parents of you know some coastal town. They're flying a Ukrainian flag at the town hall, and which I think they find so important because there's, the fear is that you kind of. People get a bit oversaturated after a few weeks, so that it's kind of just kept going. It's so heartwarming. I mean, the bake for Ukraine that we got there about an hour into it, and they kind of pretty much nearly sold out of everything. You kind of just got queues down the street. And it's just uh, in- incredible to see. And so, you know, so much done, so many things still happening, so much money raised, and just going to you know, a really good place, which hopefully we'll start seeing some more positives soon.
0: Thanks for listening. And you can read the transcripts of the show at jilliesmith.com and just click on podcasts. Please do get in touch on social media. I'm at cooking the books with Jilly Smith on Instagram, where you can follow my adventures in cookery as well as I spend the next six months at Leith's online. Check the show notes and on Instagram for full details of how to follow the links to get special cooking the books discounts on some of the Leith's cookery courses. And I'll see you next week.